Bumming with Bob Let's have a few brews We'll have some fun With the bum wine crew So kick your feet up And grab you a beer Cause damn man I'm glad that you're here All right, all right, all right. This is Bumwine Bob welcoming you to an all-new edition of Bumming with Bobcat. And this week, we are chopping it up with a retired NYPD detective turned author. Mr. Vic Ferrari is joining the show. Vic, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, Bobcat. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I really appreciate it. No, no, no. Thank you for taking the time to come on here. It's great to, to welcome you to my humble abode here on, on the podcast uh, where the where the drinks are flowing we have a good time and to celebrate you coming on here I'm gonna I'm gonna crack open uh, another one here to get the, the party started there you go yeah. <laughs> well and I was thinking I was thinking what am I gonna drink tonight and I have you know I always have a fridge fully stocked of, of beers and I know you're I mean you're a New York guy and this isn't quite New York City but it is a New York State brew i got the the genesee cream ale have you had the, the genesee cream ale in the past i have not okay okay yeah this is a uh this is more like an upstate new york i think it's around like the albany area uh where does it say here oh, or Ro- rochester okay rochester so it's that's a new a new york beer so i was trying to coordinate with you to be festive with it <laughs> i appreciate that yeah <laughs> so what what are, what are you drinking there tonight uh, I ran out of wine. I ran out of beer. So I knew I was coming on this show. I went to my liquor cabinet. Someone had given me a bottle of Kahlua. Oh. So I'm having Kahlua over ice with some milk. I guess that, that's a black Russian or a white Russian. Uh, I guess that'd be, I guess more of a black Russian, I guess. Cause I guess the white Russian. Uh, vodka, right? Vodka. Yeah. 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 I've, n- I've never been a big white Russian fan. Uh, I mean, I've had them a few times, but Hey, you do what you got to do sometimes. You know what it is? When I was a kid growing up in the Bronx and they kept moving the drinking age on us, right? So it used to be 18, then it went to 19, then it went to 21. I kind of got caught up in that. And we used to stand in front of the liquor store as teenagers and try to convince somebody going in there that was morally flexible to buy us a bottle. And I remember one time, somehow we smuggled, got a bottle of Smirnoff vodka and we were making screwdrivers. You know, I was like 15, 16, 14 years old. And uh, I got so sick on it. That it's like just the smell of vodka. I, I mean, and this is like 40 years ago. And I <laughs> it still gets you. Oh, <laughs> I, I, think, I think we all have that. We all have those drinks. And, I, and I've talked about it on my show before that I, I had an, an incident with um, when Absolute Vodka ha- came out with all the different flavors. They had, you know, your regular vodka. They had strawberry, watermelon, everything. And they had uh, absolute citron, which was like a citrus flavored vodka. And one night had a party at a friend's house and we were just doing shots of it. And it was like, oh, you know, this stuff isn't bad. You can start you know, pounding it down. And then next thing you know, you stand up, the, the room's spinning. And this was after there was a girl at the party that was sitting on the chair in my buddy's basement. And just out of nowhere, she just turns to the side and just throws up all over the floor. And, you know, I'm trying to be, now I was probably like 18, 19 at the time. I'm trying to be like, trying to be the hero and the nice guy to, 
help clean up everything to kind of get the the brownie points. And I'm like, I'm cleaning up the throw up down there. And all of a sudden, as I'm doing that, I feel myself like, oh, shit, it's coming out. And I I bolt out the basement to the backyard and then just violently throwing up over the fence. And that for a long time was my no go drink was that absolute citron. And years later, I finally overcame it to have it again to take some shots. But I was like, no, I'm never going to go out of my way to drink this ever again. Yeah, especially it was fermenting in her stomach. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> crap to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well, now that we got the 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 great stories out of the way, you know, tell everybody, you know, a little bit about yourself and kind of uh, your, your backstory with everything. Sure. My name is Vic Ferrari. I'm a retired 20-year member of the New York City Police Department. I'm a Bronx kid, born and raised. I always wanted to be a cop watching the Rockford Files and Dirty Harry on television. By the age of 10, my friends and I used to go into the local post office and and steal FBI wanted posters off the wall. And we'd start walking around the neighborhood like a manhunt, you know, have a wanted poster some guy wanted for a bank robbery in Texas. And we'd be in the local deli like, look at that fucking guy over there, like pointing to some, you know, construction worker getting a sandwich. Like, lucky we didn't get the shit kicked out of it. By 20, I I took the police exam. And by 21, I became a a member of the New York City Police Department. Where, Like, again, I worked 20 years. I worked in a a lot of different units, DUI. I was in plain clothes 15 out of my 20 years. I worked in the Manhattan North Narcotics Division for a while. And my last 10 years, I was a detective in the NYPD's Auto Crime Division. So shop shops, exporting stolen vehicles out of the country, changing vehicle identification numbers on stolen cars. And then the uh, garden variety pain in the ass car thieves we used to pick off from time to time. I retired after 20 years. I moved down to Florida and I got into writing and I've written a series of books about my experiences with the New York City Police Department. Now, did you, were you always into writing beforehand? Or was this something that just once you were done and, you know, your police days were over, you're trying to find something to do and you're like, you know what, I have all these stories. If I can put them into words, people will enjoy it. Yeah, that, that's exactly like I had no, I never, it never occurred to me to be a writer or to write things down when I was active. And when I moved down to Florida, I was bored out of my mind. I became a cop down in Florida for like 10 months. And it wasn't for me. I went from working in America's largest police department as a detective to going back out on the road as a 40 something year old man. And now I'm dealing with drunks. Now I'm dealing with domestics again. And down in Florida, it's a lot different than New York, right? So like, I remember spending a day in training down in Florida on how to wrestle a gator. I'm like, fucking alligators like <laughs> we, crime. we didn't have alligators like can't we just shoot these fucking things and like nope you got or you either gotta wrestle them or call animal control and i remember they gave you duct tape to keep in the trunk of the radio car in case you came across one of these things so i said you know what this isn't for me i re-retired and at the urging of friends and family they said you got all these great stories you should really write a book and uh, I did. And it started to sell. And I wrote another one, another one. And before you know it, I've got six books, four of which about my former employer. And it's kind of become a cottage industry for me. They're selling. And then, you know, um, people like yourself with podcasts and radio interviews are nice enough to put me on your show to promote my books. 
No, you, you can't go wrong there. I, I could tell you, I could tell you being that guy that had the stories at the parties of, okay, like, guess what I got into this week and <laughs> who did I, who did I put away? Who did I run into? <laughs> and it's like, okay, well, yeah, why don't you put this into writing and people will like these stories. You know, a- anybody in law enforcement, especially the NYPD could do it, could write a book. I don't know why they don't. But uh, there's just so much going on. I equate a 20-year career with the NYPD as like um, having a front row seat at the circus. You got fire eaters. You got clowns. You got guys picking up shoveling shit after the elephants. I mean, there's just so much stuff going on that, I mean, you just see so many things, you know, that, I mean, I, I just got a wealth of information. That's why I started churning out these books. Yeah, and you go and you you see a variety of different characters out there. I, I know that for sure. When you say comparing NYPD to just regular Florida, like hitting the streets, I mean the characters you see in New York has had to be totally different animal compared to you know besides the Gators that you you can't shoot out there, but but it's, it's got to be totally different. Like comparing the two sides. Oh, yeah. So, okay. So in New York, right? Let's say you pull up to the scene of a shooting, right? There's a guy shot 30 seconds in the past. Nobody saw anything. I mean, you literally got to start dragging people into hallways like, come on, man. I know you saw what happened. Nobody wants to give up because they live there. No one wants to get involved, right? In Florida, with a car accident, you left 15 old people hanging around wanting to give their name. I saw it and he was following too close. I mean, I, I couldn't believe it. Like, you know, I was like, I was like, all right, I got six witnesses already for a simple car accident. You can go. You know what I mean? It's not like the OJ trial. Yeah. So, yeah, it was um, you got a lot of retirees down here with nothing to do and they kind of want to get involved. They're good people, but they can be a pain in the ass, too, because they get into everything. Yeah, they're just nosy. It's, it's nosy people. It's like yeah. they got nothing else to do. They're exactly. peeking out their window, peeking through the curtains. Like, oh, yeah, there's, there's some random guy walking, walking down the street, uh, calling the cops on. I was like, it's just walking down the street, you know, not, not causing any trouble. Well, you know, it's funny. So the NYPD, we had auxiliary cops. And I mean, God bless their heart. They really try to do the right thing. But it's like everybody that couldn't pass the police psychological or the police physical exam that, you know, they're hanging on to that dream and they become auxiliary cops. And they often get themselves in trouble. And then down here in Florida, they had uh, the department I was working for. They used to call these old people that would volunteer vipers, which I thought was <laughs> the funniest thing in the world. And they would give them a car to drive around and they, they, they were getting into trouble, like calling things in. You know what I mean? Like suspicious packages and stuff would turn out to be someone's lunch at a bus stop. And, <laughs> you know, it's just just nickel and dime bullshit. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, like I said, once you retire from NYPD, that right there should have been like the bow on t- on on your police career at that point. Like you said, when you went down to Florida, it's like you know what? I I, I think I've had enough of this. It's like it's like you know, Lethal Web is like you know I'm I'm too old for this shit at that point. It's like you know what? You, you put in your time. You did you did your job well. Like look, I I, I got to move on. You know, they hired me, and I mean, I had to take a two and a half week course and pass a state exam, and then the police department picks me up. They hire me. And then it was a couple of months of training. And I knew by the second week, I said, what did I get myself into? You know, and I was never a training guy. The NYPD, there's tons of training and everybody's always trying to get out of it um, with court notifications or, you know, pulling a fast one to get out of it. And I was just like, I knew it. I I knew I I had one foot in the shit and I was like, I might as well put the other (laughs) one in and just see 
see how far I'm going to take this. Yeah, I know. See where you end up. And then it's like after 10 months, you're like, all right, you know what? I tried it. It's not for me. I'm done. It's time to move on. I, yeah, I came in to resign on my day off. I went in and uh, the chief was like, oh, no, no, no. I was like, no, I says, I, I appreciate everything, but I, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. And he was like, well, how about if we make you detective? Like, oh, well, the guys won't respect me. I says, you're going to take a guy that's been here a couple of months and you're going to make me a detective? The guys won't respect me. He goes, well, how about I put you on days? Because I was doing midnights. I go, same thing. I'm jumping guys with seniority. Yeah, I'm, you know, 20 years with the NYPD, but you got guys that worked here. Right. Deserve it. I go, no, it's just it's just time to go. It felt right. Yeah, and then I guess after that, then was the time when you were like, you know what? I'm gonna try my hand in the the writing side of things. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. And I just started stringing these stories together and then the books came out. Now I guess when it comes to writing the books and releasing them, now I guess I mean it's a lot easier now these days compared to how it would have been in back in the day of trying to get a book published. How is how is that whole process for you? Is that an easy process to go through of actually taking your your pen to paper of writing the book and then getting it actually published? Does I mean I'm just wondering how compared to like how it would used to be with going through you know publishers and this whole big process, but now with things like Amazon and online books, I mean, what's the difference now with it? Sure. So in the old days, right, like before Amazon, writers would write a manuscript. They would send it off to different publishing houses where it would go to different people and it would sit on their desk and they would either green light it or send you a letter saying thanks, but no thanks. And when, when, when a publishing company says options your book and says, yeah, that's great. Well, they're going to do all the work for you. They're going to edit it. They're going to create a book cover. They're going to get it into brick and mortar stores. They're going to advertise it. But guess what? you got a partner. Now you're splitting everything with them yeah. you don't make, you're not going to get rich writing books unless you're stephen king or um patterson or you know one yeah, of the, big the, the yeah the big the big big names <laughs> turning out books left yeah. and right no 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 so what i did was i said all right i'm going to self-publish and you know you start googling and researching things and all these companies pop up yeah give us five thousand give us ten thousand dollars we'll do everything for you and I'll, but you still have a partner and they still want their cut. So what I figured out was write the book, edit it the best I can, find a professional editor. I run my books through two rounds of edits, a professional copy edit, a professional proofread. I have a company called ebooklaunch.com. They're a great service up in Canada. It's an a la carte service. Um, they do everything from your book cover to your editing. And, the, and even after your book is all put together, then they'll format it to you, format it for you, and put it in two different files, one for ebook, one for paperback. And they do everything for you. For me, for a paperback cost me about twenty five hundred bucks all in between the editing, book cover, and formatting. And then I just upload it into Amazon and Amazon takes care of the rest. So if you see one of my books online and go, Hey, that 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 looks interesting, and you pay for it and you click it, I'm not shipping you a book. Amazon has my file somewhere. I think it's in Lexington, Kentucky, and they print to order and they mail it out to your house. I don't touch books like people say, oh, send me a book. It's like I only have a couple in the house for friends and family. You know what I mean? It's not like right, right. <laughs> yeah. you got boxes yeah, and boxes in the a, garage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to Barnes and Noble, you know, with a trunk full of books, you know, begging to see the manager. You know? Yeah, it's yeah. not worth it. 
But uh, Amazon, they, they take their cut, but it's nowhere near as much as it would be if I went through a major publishing company. But the difference is when you self-publish, it's on you to market your book. And if you're, for new authors out there, it's like you've got to do podcasts. You've got to do radio interviews. You, you've got to be interesting. You know what I mean? You've got to be able to tell a story. You have to know how to digitally market it. You got to get a Twitter account, Twitter account, Instagram, Facebook, and you got it. That takes up a third of my time besides yeah. the writing. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's, I mean, there's not a day goes by where I'm not doing something online promoting my books. And, and, right. And you say, cause you're out there. You got to keep pushing it no matter what say, Oh, Hey, you know, new, new book is out here. Go, go take a look and see. And you got to get people to find it. And it's hard enough as it is with all the algorithms when it comes to social media and what shows up on people's feeds, what doesn't. And you got to find that, that sweet spot of those keywords that, that will somehow get picked up. So then it bumps you to the top of the list. People say, oh, hey, Vic. Oh, here's this book you did. Oh, NYPD. Okay, I like this. Okay, I'll buy it. And then, boom, there's, there's one order for you. Well, you're right. And I'm lucky enough. So I had a career that a lot of people find interesting, right? So you've got, there's so many people, especially when live PD, and now I guess it's called On Patrol Live. People love true crime. They can't get enough of it. So I'm lucky enough. I'm in a genre where people find interesting. So my books, most of my titles has the word NYPD in it or New York City Police Department. And like you were talking about, like search engine op optimization. Mm -hmm. I I'm ahead of the game with that because I have words in my. Right, right, title. right. People searching for that stuff anyway, and it'll pop up even if they're not even looking for a book. Somehow come, they search NYPD something. And they're like, oh, what's what's this? There's a book about, you know, auto theft and NYPD and these stories. Like, OK, that sounds interesting. I'll click on it and take a look exactly yeah so i mean now did you get any pushback when you decided you were going to write these books and tell these stories did you get any pushback from anybody in no NYPD that, or no, anything but, or or have you I, I mean have you have you changed the names and i guess have you given everybody a secret identity for the uh the books i'm assuming you're not using anybody's uh Real names, you're right. <laughs> well, here, here's the thing. So when I got into writing these books, the two things I set out not to do was get anybody divorced or in trouble or embarrassed. Right. So I do. I change the names, the dates, the ranks, the precincts, the locations. But all the stories, it's things that happen. I might write a character in and out. You know, mm -hmm. I might change a character in a story. But like, you know, there's a story in one of my books where there's a cop we used to work with and... With the NYPD, the quickest way to get into trouble is lose your gun and shield. If you lose either of those things, you're going to lose 30 vacation days and you're going to get put on a year of disciplinary probation where they could fire you for anything. So there was this guy we worked with and wasn't the brightest of bulbs. And uh, he lived in a shitty neighborhood. And he was going out one night. He wasn't going to take his gun with him and he was afraid of a burglary. So he hid his gun in the one place he didn't think anyone would look, which was his oven. So he goes out. Comes back home, four beers, nine hours later, he's liquored up, wants to make a snack. Oh, frozen pizzas in the, in, in the freezer. Preheats the oven to 425, forgets about the gun in the oven, goes into the living room, puts on the TV's channel surfing. Well, there's gunpowder and bullets. So what happens? The gun starts going off inside the stove and starts <laughs> shooting at him. He's got to crawl out of his apartment on his fucking hands and knees and call emergency service to come. And his gun was blown to bits. 
and he needed a new stove. And oh, by the way, he lost 30 vacation days and got put on a year of probation. Wow. Wow. That, 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 that's, that's the new one. I don't think I've ever heard of anybody doing that before. So that... <laughs> well, you got to remember something. The New York City Police Department at any given time has between 35 and 40,000 members. So, and we hire in bulk. So a small police academy class is like 500 people. And we have classes sometimes as big as 2,500. So they do their best to screen. But, I mean, are you going to get some nitwits or bad apples from time to time when you're hiring in bulk? Yeah, absolutely. They mean well. It's just it's not, not, not quite all there for them. It, it happens. We, we, we all know people like that, regardless of profession that they're in. Oh, yeah. In another one of my books, there's a story of so when someone dies, right, like in public, if someone dies in an apartment, right, cops show up, EMS shows up. Yeah, the guy's dead. The police do a preliminary investigation, right? Then the ME comes, the medical examiner. The medical examiner is going to be the final call on. Yeah, you know what? This Something doesn't look right. We're taking it to the morgue. We're going to do an autopsy or... Yeah, this guy is 85 years old on heart medication, and we called his doctor up, and he said he could go any minute. Yeah, release the family. Tell the family to call the funeral home. Mm -hmm. But when someone dies in an apartment or a house, the police sit there. It's called sitting on a DOA until the medical examiner arrives, and that can take six, seven, ten hours sometimes because people are dropping dead all over the five boroughs. So this lazy cop goes goes to an apartment in a housing project. This old man died in his bed. He wasn't dead for very long. It wasn't like he was like a real bad, stinky one. He was only dead a couple hours. The paramedics come and they go to leave. And the cop says, well, aren't you going to take him? They says, we don't take him. you got to wait for the medical examiner. We only take him if he's in public view. So they leave. It's Friday night. The cop wants to go out drinking. He doesn't want to get stuck into the midnight tour sitting with this DOA waiting for the medical examiner. About a half hour later, a call comes over. That same building, that same floor is a cardiac. The same two paramedics come running up the stairs with all their equipment. And who's in the hallway but the dead guy that was in the bed earlier? And the cop is like, oh, shit. And they go, what the fuck is this? And the cop goes, you're not going to – he starts tap dancing. Because he thought it would be another two paramedics that would show up. He goes, you're not going to believe this. After you left, the guy jumped out of the bed and said, oh, shit. He ran through the apartment. He collapsed again on the floor. They said, you move, you drag this guy through the apartment. You can tell by the lividity yeah. of the body, and he's starting to get rigor mortis. And he's like, no, no, no. The sergeant shows up. They do another investigation. It's obvious he moved the body. He lost 30 vacation days, got put on a year probation, and wound up getting transferred to another borough. Had that happened nowadays, it would have been all over the New York Post. He would have oh, yeah. lost his job. He might have even been arrested. Yeah, for that and say, oh yeah, I'm just gonna move this guy out into the hallway. We'll call it in again and say, hey, wait, what? We just saw this guy. Oh yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, the guy just jumped up and said, oh yeah, I'm I'm not really dead. And then he just then he said, oh wait, no, now I'm dead out in the hallway. Somebody please move me out of here so this guy can go out drinking. Yeah, I mean, we get people like that. I mean, it's sad. I mean, not all cops are like that, but you know, like I said, again, when you hire in bulk, you're gonna get some nitwits get through. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, now, now, did you ever come across, I was thinking of this before now, I mean, since I deal with, you know, all this, I deal with bottom shelf booze and all this stuff now, I, I'm, I'm assuming you probably, did you deal with any of the, the drunks on the streets and the, anybody that might have been 
taking some uh, maybe some Thunderbird or some Night Train uh, out there. Oh, yeah. You deal with drunks all the time, especially when you work in the midnights, you know, bars thrown, trying to throw out a drunk or someone's in the street in front of a bar all tuned up. And then I got stuck very early in my NYPD career in the DUI unit, and I hated it. It was a borough wide unit. I absolutely despise it because there's no winning arresting a drunk. They're either going to cry, they're going to fight or they're going to get sick occasionally you'll get a real happy one that doesn't give a fuck. But for the most part, yeah. the second you put cuffs on them till you lodge them at central booking, it, it's a nightmare. And back in those days, we used to carry those um, little portable Alka sensors. And that's what would give you a reading before you did the, um, or after I forget now it's 30 years ago, you would do the, um, you know, the, uh, the, the, the test, you know, walk and turn and lift one leg and all that crap. And I, but I remember a couple of times having people that were, I mean, Hall of Fame drunks that <laughs> blew like 0. 0.38, 0. 0.40, which is which can be fatal. Right, we right. Locked up a female. I'll never forget this. On, it was on the day shift because usually you catch the drunks at night. We locked up a female in the Bronx and thin, thin woman, um, middle aged, probably late 30s, early 40s. Um, she blew a 0.38. I mean, it was coming out of her pores. You know, oh, like, yeah, like you yeah. Could, yeah. You can smell it, yeah. And she passed the coordination test. I couldn't believe it. You know, we, we were just like, we were, I mean, Hall of Fame drunk. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I mean, it must have been either a, a really professional drinker at that point and just, just, or just has really good coordination and skills that she can just ace that stuff no matter no, no matter how drunk. I remember I remember her ask I remember asking her because I was just in awe of her. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I, I said, Do you wake up with a beer or a shot? And she goes, something like that. Okay. I'm guessing she's no longer with us. I mean, you can't carry on like that for no, long. No, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, wow. Yeah. And that's a uh, that's an interesting thing to come across and see that you're like you're like how did you pass that like most people especially at that level would be tipping over just laying on the ground just like all right just just leave me here uh, i'm done well back in those days we would take them to um um one of the highway units where they had the the breathalyzer and you had a highway cop that would do the coordination test and like you had a room full of cops watching this because no one could believe what they were you know what i mean it was like Everybody that was walking by was like, Are you? and then she was on one leg going, hey, guys, watch this. I mean, it was. I was going to say, now, now you're just showing off. I mean, now, you know, we brought you in here because of how drunk you were and whatever commotion you're causing. But now we're all standing around like, like, oh, my God, look at this woman. And what, what is she doing? <laughs> Man, this is amazing. I remember writing up that case. The district attorney was like, he couldn't believe what I was telling him. He goes, what, how, well, how bad was the coordination test? I go, she passed it. He goes, what are you kidding me? Like, it was bothering him. He's like, oh, God. I goes, I hope, I hope she doesn't take this to trial. I'm like, dude, she blew a point three eight. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, that's almost fatal. Yeah. Yeah. She probably's I, not going to be alive by the time this goes to trial. Right. Yeah. And, and if it does, I, I don't think she's winning. Uh, this is. Hard to hard to beat that that data right there to say, uh, you know, well, what are you gonna say? Way, if it went to trial, she'd probably show up drunk. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unless she has somehow had somebody watching her for a day to say, okay, do not drink anything, all right? Oh, yeah, sure. Well, well, well somebody like that, if they don't drink, they'll get the shakes. Yeah, yeah. They'll, 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 they'll have a seizure. They'll start, the hand will stop going, and I've seen that. Yeah, yeah. So it's like either way. I mean, there's, there's no way. It was, it was, it was not going to end well anyway for, for her. However, however the yeah. way that, that would have broke down in the trial wise. <laughs> yeah, it was sad. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm just, and I'm sure you probably came across a lot of those, those sad stories and incidents like that. And, and I guess once you made it to the, the auto crime division now, now, how, how was it? I mean, now, did you get yourself into a lot of, well, I guess when it comes to the auto crimes now, was it anything really pretty much you said like chop shops, stolen cars, uh, things, things like that. Now, was there anything crazy? I mean, I guess because you, you see things that you think might be crazy when you say, okay, auto theft. Now, not so much of the high-speed chases or anything like that. It's more of the sneaking around trying to find out, okay, this car was stolen. This got put into a shop here and then trying to round up the cars that were, I guess, kind of taken underground, I would say, right? Yeah, no, there was plenty of car chases. Um, I I was involved in probably between 50 and 100 okay. car chases. I loved, it. I loved every minute of it. But um, did you ever see the movie Heat with Robert De Niro and Al Pacino? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So we yeah. worked on crews of guys mm-hmm. doing it. And sometimes, you know, if we got enough evidence, we were able to go up on their phones. And then once we get on, up on their phones, that's when it really got interested. Because then, like, I did a case where these guys were shipping cars out of the country. And they were shipping 30 stolen cars a month. And we had multiple wiretaps going and we quickly figured out that the thieves were also in the murder for hire business and they were bragging about it on the phones. And when we took that case down, we probably solved about 15 homicides. Wow. Now, did you ever come across any, uh, any famous cars in the process? Well, yeah, I'll tell you a funny story. So we had an informant who was actually my partner's informant and he was tied in with a lot of these Dominican uh, car thieves and car uh, organized gangs. So he would check in with my partner every now and then. And he calls him up one day and he goes, you're never going to guess what happened over the weekend. And we said, what happened? He goes, I was, I was, we, me and this guy, Horatio, who's a known car thief. He goes, we're going down the West Side Highway and we see Mike Tyson driving a Ducati, which is an Italian motorcycle. Back then it cost 30 grand and that's like 25 years ago. God only knows where the Ducati goes. Oh, yeah, now. yeah. <laughs> so he goes, Horatio says to me, I really want that bike. He goes, so Horatio follows the guy, follows Mike Tyson to the Javits Center. There was some kind of event. Watches Mike Tyson park his Ducati on the street and go into the Javits Convention Center. Horatio jumps on the bike, breaks the ignition, drives the Ducati back up to Washington Heights. And I go, where's the bike? He goes, it's in his apartment. So Horatio lived on the first floor. Got the bike into the apartment. I go, give me the, give me the apartment number. We're going to get a warrant. He goes, well, hold off on that. He goes, he's going to steal a couple. He goes, he's got a couple of stolen bikes in his apartment already. He's going to ship them to the Dominican Republic. He goes, I'll give you the shipping container and, and I'll give you all the information. We said, all right. This guy was giving us so much stuff. We literally forgot about it. <laughs> a couple of weeks later it was a Sunday. And uh, my old partner calls me up and he goes, you want to make, oh, I'll never forget. I was watching football. It was the winter time too. And he said, um, he goes, you want to make some overtime? I said, yeah, sure. What's up? He goes, remember those motorcycles with Mike Tyson's Ducati? I said, yeah. He goes, 
He goes, they're getting shipped today. I says, today? He goes, yeah, they're not going in the shipping container. He goes, Horatio took all the motorcycles apart, bubble wrapped them, put them in crates. They're going to put it in a van and drive it out to JFK and put it and, and send it air, airlifted. There was a shipping company that did air freight. So what we wound up doing was we went out to JFK and who shows up late that night was Horatio and a couple of his friends. They stole a van. That was even funnier. They pulled up in a stolen van <laughs> with all these stolen motorcycles. Yeah. Like, yeah. Stolen, stolen parts. Yeah. Why, why not? At that point, you might as well just steal the van to take the stuff over there anyway. Why not? Go, go big or go home. Yeah. So we recovered Mike Tyson's stolen Ducati. Did you get any props from Mike Tyson for doing it or? He was not happy because we recovered that. We, so if you, you get a car motorcycle stolen and it doesn't get recovered, if it, if it doesn't get recovered after 30 days, the insurance company writes you a check. Mm-hmm. Right. If, if it gets recovered before that, it's yours. The insurance company will give you some money to get it fixed. But. You're not getting a new Ducati, so he no. was thrilled about. It. I was gonna I say, I was gonna say, well, yeah, because since they took it apart and it was all in pieces now, and it's like, yes, they recovered the bike in pieces with it before that thirty days was up. So now he right. has a motorcycle in pieces that it needs to now be put back together because he's not getting the money for a new one. Yeah, we used. To, I mean, it, it's there was so many bizarre things that would happen in auto theft. Another time. We were getting killed with these Land Cruisers when the Toyota Land Cruisers first came out. Same thing. The Dominican kids were shipping them to the Dominican Republic. So one day I'm up in Washington Heights. I see this, um, this Land Cruiser in a parking lot, 24-hour lot, had out-of-state plates. I run the plate, comes back stolen. I have the car printed. And I'll never forget, inside the Land, Land Cruiser was a dog crate and some hunting magazines. So I get the car print, the truck printed. I send it out to the pound. I call the owner up. The owner's this big time Wall Street attorney. And uh, he's like, did you get my dog? And I said, did I get your dog? He goes, yeah. He goes, my dog was in the crate. So what had happened was he and his wife were up in the country for the weekend. They brought the Land Cruiser back downtown. They were taking their stuff out of the, out of the Land Cruiser to go up into their apartment. He left the key in the ignition and the motor running. Mm. Guy jumped in the car and took yeah. off with his dog. I said, shit. I said, no. I says, the crate was there. The hunting magazine, the dog. He goes, listen, he goes, I paid five grand for that dog. It was a um, Chesapeake Bay Retriever. He says, I'll do anything to get that car back. He goes, uh, that, that dog back. He goes, can you help me? I says, I'll look into it. I don't really know. You know, it's a long shot. So I grew up with a guy. I went to Catholic high school with, his, my, I was Best man at his wedding. He was a sergeant in the fingerprint section. So fingerprints get submitted in order. Homicides go first. Robberies go second. Burglaries go third. And then a recovered stolen vehicle goes in the bottom. Of the yeah, so yeah. I call him up. I says, can you do me a favor and move mine up to the list? He goes, yeah, no problem. A couple of days later, he calls me up. He goes, he goes got a hit. He goes, I don't know how easy it's going to be for you to find this guy. He's like a street guy. He's got like a million arrests all over the city. Heroin addict, homeless guy. He's a road pirate. Road pirates are not professional car thieves. Those are the guys that break into your car and steal your DVDs or pull your radio out. He's an opportunist. He's not a professional car thief. Yeah, yeah. So what this guy did was he stole the Land Rover, Land Cruiser, brings it up to the heights. But he's got no connections to get rid of this car. 
He's going around the neighborhood. He doesn't know anybody. None of these body shops are going to take his word for it. They think he's a yeah. cop. Yeah. He doesn't yeah. know anybody. So what happens is I file what's called a wanted card on him, which means if he gets arrested again, they'll send a fax. This is I'm, I'm dating myself. They'll send a fax <laughs> to my to my to my command saying, "Hey, this guy got arrested in such and such precinct in such and such borough. If I could pull him out of the system before he sees the judge." Or wait for him after he gets arraigned. I get him, but if I, but it's not like they're gonna hold him forever for me. So I was going home one night and I see that he got called in Manhattan. The next morning, my partner and I run down to court. Judge releases him a no bail, and as he's walking out of the courthouse, we grab him, bring him into the precinct, and I show him a bunch of photos of the truck. And I go, "Did you steal this truck? No. Have you ever been in this truck? No. I want to lock him into the statement that he was never in the truck. Well, if you've never been in it, how are your fingerprints in it?" So finally, I lock him into the truck and I go, listen, Angel, I said, you're going away this time. I says, I promise you, I'll have the district attorney throw the book at you. I go, where's the fucking dog? And he looked at me and I says, if you tell me where the dog is, I'll talk to the district attorney. Maybe you get a year on Rikers Island. I said, I'm telling you, you're going to go upstate with your record. So he goes, I sold it up in that neighborhood. I go, do you know where? He goes, I think so. So we put him in the car. We drive up to the neighborhood. He goes, it's in one of these buildings there. Within 10 minutes, this woman in bright pink spandex, which, by the way, spandex is a privilege, not a right. comes <laughs> walking out of the building, walking this Wheaton, not Wheaton, uh, Chesapeake Bay, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, the, the, yeah, yeah. I id myself, and she was, like, upset. She did not want to give up this dog. I go, lady, it's not your dog. Right. So right. finally, she complied. She gave the dog up. Well, the guy went bananas. He goes, how much did they? he goes, by the way, like how much did that dog that I stole? How much is it worth? I go five grand. He goes, five fucking grand. He goes, I would have never told you guys where that dog was if I knew how much it cost. So he got, I think, a year on Rikers. I kept my word and the guy got his dog back. So, you know, it does like every now and then you come across like a heartwarming story. Or something yeah, like yeah. It's only with a happy ending. Now, did he say how much he sold the dog to that that lady for? Oh, it was like 20 bucks. Uh, I was going to say, I know when you That's said that. So yeah, I was going to say, when you said that the dog was, you know, five grand and he's like, oh shit, I, I could have got that much. I'm wondering, you know, how much he, he really, actually got he, for it. Well, right. And he thought the truck, he thought the truck was going to be his payday. He thought he was going to get like a grand or two grand for the truck. And no one, no one, you know. No one's picking him. up a truck from, well, yeah, from how you describe this guy. I just have a picture in my head of what he would have looked like and his demeanor. So I know that nobody would trust him. (laughs) Did you ever see Al Pacino in Serpico? He had a long beard. He looked like a garden gnome. Okay, okay. Greasy with a beard, pock Mm -hmm. mark, back marks all over his arm. He smelled. I mean, he he was not long for this earth either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody's saying, oh, yeah, here, let's let's buy a, 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 a truck from this guy. Eh. Yeah, no, no, uh, no, hard, hard, hard pass shop, on this. Beat- yeah. No, with the body shop, they would have beaten the shit out of him and taken the truck. What's he going to do? Call the police? <laughs> oh, man, these guys just beat the shit out of me and stole the truck that I just stole. I mean, uh, my, my truck that I had, and I, I totally own this truck. It's not that I stole it from somebody else and then sold the dog that was in there for 20 bucks. No, I would never do that. Yeah, I can't produce any paperwork for it, but take my word for it. It was mine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Man, I, I give you a, I mean, a lot of credit. I mean, you, it, it takes a special person to be out there and, and, and living that life and doing that job out there on the streets, especially in NYPD. 
compared, you're not out in, like you say, compared to where you were out in Florida or in just being in any other, yes, in any other state, any other county, PD, but in NYPD, I mean, that's a whole different animal out there. So I, I give you a lot of credit for, for living that life for that long and, and putting up with this shit for the most part. I appreciate it, but I loved every minute of it. You know, it was, um, it's, it, it was everything I always wanted to do. And I got to work in the one place that I always wanted to work. So, I mean, I've got no regrets with my police career. You know what I mean? I, I loved every minute of it. When it was time to go, it was time to go. But um, no, I'm, I'm grateful that I had that job and I worked where I worked. Yeah. Now, when, when it was the 20 years and everything was up now, did you want to stick around in there? Or was it like, you know what, you, you had enough. It's like, okay, you can get out and retire now. It's like, you know what, I'll, I'll take it and, and go. Well, I got out in 2007 and things were quickly changing. And, and I worked in that office for 10 years and I found myself as the old guy. I mean, it was only in my early 40s, but I was the old guys in the office. The millennials were coming up from behind me um, in the NYPD. And I, this is going to sound um, I'm pumping myself up, but <laughs> you're definitely penalized for your your competence. So if you can do something and someone can't, they're just going to keep feeding you the work. Because the other, it's civil service. They can't get rid of the guy right away. Yeah. So guess what? You're doing it. And the NYPD, I mean, even though I was in plain clothes, you're still in uniform quite a bit. Like, you could be working on the most sensitive, important case. A parade comes up. A demonstration comes up. A riot comes up. Hey, throw on your uniform tomorrow at 5 a.m. or 3 a.m. Be out in Brooklyn at the piers as a tugboat strike or... 17 out of my 20 years with the department, I worked Times Square during New Year's Eve. You know, um, I was down at Ground Zero the day it happened. I was there for weeks. Um, you know, I don't regret any of this stuff, but they never let you forget you were a cop first, no matter what you were doing. Um, and it was just time to go. You know what I mean? It's, um, it, it wears on you. There's a lot of different hours. You're never doing steady hours. Court, you know, you work at nights, court comes up, that takes precedent. You're getting done at two, three o'clock in the morning and you find a notification on your desk, guess what? You have grand jury tomorrow. You're going home, you're getting two hours sleep. So there was a lot of that. And I was like, it's a young man's game too. Yeah. It really is. So it was just time to go. And, and hey, and you transitioned nicely into the now author side of things to tell your stories about it. So that, So for you, that has to be nice to make that transition and say, you know, you, you can still live that life you had through your, your memories of it and telling these stories and putting out these books. So that that has to be fun too to go back and now kind of relive that stuff as you write the stories about it. Yeah, 15 years later, I'm, I'm still living vicariously through myself. You know, <laughs> yeah. what, I mean? it's, uh, you know what I mean? And, and what's funny is, like my friends call me up and stuff and like, you know, I'll write a book, right? And I'll get phone calls like, you should have wrote about this guy and you should have wrote about that guy. Like at first I was afraid there was going to be blowback from this, but quite the contrary because I don't, I don't name names. You know what I mean? I don't embarrass right. anybody. Mm -hmm. I'm not a sour grapes kind of guy. Sure. There were people I thought were assholes, but like for, to me, it's not even worth writing about it. You know what I mean? I'm not a sour grapes kind of guy. You know what I mean? I, I walked out with a great career. I, you know, I, I had a, I got a pension and again, it's affording me a second career. Yeah. And, and like you said, once you, once you do one book and people like it and enjoy it and they say, Oh, you should have wrote about this guy. And you're like, well, 
stay tuned for the next one. And then the one after that. And that as people want to either, or somebody can bring up a story to you and that kind of triggers the memory that maybe you weren't really thinking of. And then you're like, Oh shit, I should write about this one next. I mean, like I said, I mean, you have a whole bunch of books already out there, you know, what, one, two, three, four, uh, I guess is, is it the four books about the your NYPD yeah, four, journey four, right four now? About the NYPD. Yeah, four about the NYPD. I just wrote a book called Confessions of a Catholic High School Graduate. That's about me growing up in the Bronx and being a little scumbag before I turned my life around. Yeah. Yeah. And then I wrote another <laughs> Yeah, and I wrote another book, Dickheads and Debauchery and Other Ingenious Ways to Die. That's the ridiculous things that people do to shorten their life expectancy. Yeah. So there could be a I mean, is there going to be another uh, NYPD book in, in the works? I mean, is that something uh, in the pipeline yeah, there? I'm, yeah, I'm probably about two-thirds through on an NYPD book now. I just don't have a title for it. Okay. Yeah, it, it'll come to you. You know, you, you start writing something else and it pop up. You're like, shit, I'm, do- I'm doing that. That That's the name uh, right there. You know, it's funny. That's the last thing I always figured. The only book that I wrote that I had the title was Grand Theft Auto, the NYPD's auto crime division, because... That's my 10 years in the auto crime industry. You know, everything you wanted to know about stolen vehicles, but we're afraid to ask what happens to your car after it gets stolen, where it goes, who steals your car. And then cases I worked on with, with car thieves and informants and mobsters. Yeah. So, so, so what's, what's next? I mean, I know we kind of touched on that, that you kind of have a book in the works that you're kind of working on there. I mean, what, anything else you're working on? I mean, what's in the, uh, what's in the pipeline for you there? Just the book I'm writing now. I mean, all my books are similar in that there's no beginning, middle, end. They're just a series of short stories. There'll be a chapter. Like one of my books is a chapter, Police Corruption. It's called Crossing Over to the Dark Side. And that chapter is about police corruption. Why cops go bad. Cops that I knew that went bad. Stories that I heard. So, you know, they're great travel books because they're quick reads. And they're just, there's a chapter and boom, there's three or four stories. There's another one of my books. There's a chapter called practical jokers and it's what goes on in the station house and the locker room and the shit that we were always doing to each other, you know, be it pouring cornstarch <laughs> down the, uh, down the vents. So, and then right. The, right. the, the, the stuff, the, the stuff you got to do to pass the time and, and help keep your sanity while you're working a, a job like this. Yeah, I, there's a story in, uh, what is it, the NYPD's Flying Circus, Cops, Crime, and Chaos. I was going out. I, you work in a detective's office. you got 20 pairs of trained eyes watching your every move. And uh, I went upstairs. which was the end of my shift. I came back. I changed my slacks. had a date. One of the guys at my office realized it. When I went to get a cup of coffee, I sat down in my chair, and I got the wet ass. I pour a glass of ice water. So, like, oh, shit. Everybody's laughing. I go, you got me. Went upstairs, changed my slacks, went downstairs. Across the street from our office was a pet store. So I went into the pet store and I bought 100 crickets. Guy, apparently you feed snakes or lizards with these fucking things. I got a bag and they smell too. And it, I got 100 crickets in a plastic bag. I went into the parking lot. I found his personal car. I used a Slim Jim. I popped open his, his door. I cut the bag. I dumped the crickets in the back seat. The fucking guy wound up having to sell his car. <laughs> because even after he roach bombed it a couple of times, he didn't get them all, and yeah. then they'd start fucking breeding back there. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it was a shitbox car; it was like a Delta eighty eight or something. He wound up having to sell it. Wow, wow. <laughs> <laughs> that I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm hearing that story, and I'm like, and that that that's some uh, 
that's some serious shit right there. <laughs> but uh, we funny, were always oh, it's funny. Books. It's funny. <laughs> yeah, and and um, what book is it? Um, NYPD Through the Looking Glass. There's a story. There was a guy. They used to fuck with him so bad. I mean, he was an asshole, but they used to fuck with him so bad. It's just when Rogaine came out, and the guy had a bottle of. He left his locker open, and and you could see the bottle of Rogaine up there. So two of the other guys stole his Rogaine. They poured it in another container, and then they poured wood varnish stain in there. And then he shellacked the top of his head. Went fucking crazy. Like they had to restrain him. He lost his mind. I I can imagine. Yeah, I mean, you you screw with the wrong person, and they're they're gonna they're gonna flip a shit on you. Oh yeah, there was a short guy in the locker room nobody liked. He would always take his boots and he would stand on his tippy toes and put them on top of the locker to air out. So we crazy glued his boots to the top of his locker, and he was short. <laughs> so it's funny watching this guy in his tippy toes trying to pull yeah. the boots up. So finally, he had to get like a step ladder, and he took a knife and he cut the soles off his boots to kind of get them off. And he was so cheap, he didn't buy another pair of boots. So he walked funny until he wore them off because he had to cut the. the yeah, the it's, it's not right. It's not going to be even. <laughs> Walking yeah, a little uh, lopsided there until he wore yeah, it down like enough to kind of even it out. Yeah. Like, why are you you're going like side to side when you're walking? Uh, yeah, don't, don't worry about it. He's just waiting for it to, to wear enough so it kind of levels back out again. <laughs> exactly. The, the stories you have here, just from talking to you, I, I can imagine what else is out there within these books you have. There's, so I'm, I'm definitely going to be checking them out, and I, I got to see what, what really goes on out there. But, but hey, Vic, I, I appreciate you taking the time to, to come on the podcast and chat with me, have, uh, have a drink. Uh, you want to tell everybody where they can, they can find you on the social media and all, all that good stuff? Sure. So if you go on Amazon, just go to the book section and type in Vic Ferrari. All my paperbacks come up. They're all 10 bucks or $2.99 ebook download. They're about 250 pages each. They're easy reads. They make great stocking stuffers or Christmas gifts. Just buy it, wrap it, and throw it under the tree. Um, if you need to get in touch with me, I'm on Instagram and Twitter at VicFerrari50. There you go. Yeah, see, perfect time of year now, right? Holiday season right around the corner. I'll throw in there anybody who who likes uh, any sort of police stories or even just crazy stories in general, just from listening to you. I know there's going to be quite a few <laughs> interesting stories in the in these books, so I'll definitely have to to check it out. But uh, but hey, Vic, I, once again, I appreciate you taking the time coming on the podcast here. And we'll uh, we'll definitely be in touch, keeping tabs on you, see what see what's next for you in the the world of your your author life now. I guess your your second life after the the world yeah. of the NYPD and the police work. <laughs> Thank you so much, Bob. I really appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. No, no worries there. He is Mr. Vic Ferrari. Go ahead, check him out, give him a follow. And I am Bumwine Bob. And check out the website at bumwinebob.com. And until next time, cheers. I need a beer.